Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I am so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Before we start this episode, I just want to tell you quickly about my new Aware Parenting Teenagers course. This course is now available on my website, and I've designed it to support parents to explore the theory and practice of aware parenting and how it applies specifically to parenting in the teenage years. It is an in-depth journey into how this amazing life-changing approach helps us to develop these beautiful, close and healthy relationships with our teens. So whether you're new to aware parenting or have been practicing this in your family for some time, This deeply supportive course will guide you to have more ease and connection and fun in parenting your teens. It is a self-paced study course with live rounds regularly throughout the year. Now, let's get on with this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm so happy to have Nick Wilson on the call. Nick, thanks so much for coming and making time to talk to us. Thank you, Joss. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So Nick has been aware parenting now for six years. She is the mother of a beautiful girl, Bella, who's now nine. When she found aware parenting, she was in a really difficult place and it literally saved her life and her relationship with her daughter. She fell in love with it and wanted to share it more with other people in the world. So she started Peaceful Parenting in 2021 and began to share her love for aware parenting She became an instructor in 2022. She loves all aspects of web parenting, but particularly enjoys play and the healing through tears and raging. It was the healing aspect that gave her so much peace in the early days and the understanding that she didn't ruin her child. She loves sharing with parents that it's never too late to start listening to feelings and loves helping parents to put down the sticks. She uses aware parenting with her daughter's father to facilitate a loving co-parenting relationship. And she thinks that aware parenting will change the world. Yes, I do too. <laughs> That's a beautiful intro. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, I always start just by asking people briefly how they found aware parenting, what it meant to you, when you, why you loved it so much. So, yes, it was a very dark time in my life when I found Marion and aware parenting. I had a very traumatic pregnancy. I vomited for the entire nine months and not just once or twice a day, it was like once or twice an hour, 24-7 for the first six months. I was working full-time and I was in quite a difficult relationship with um, my daughter's father and it was just very, very stressful. And I I think part of where parenting was really so helpful to be coming to it late and I really trust the timing of that because don't think I would have been able to take in a, what was happening um, at the time. I just was not able to function properly. I looked green constantly, like actually coloured green from just being so sick. And I remember being dropped at the hospital three or four times and just said, leave me on the gutter. And I was just vomiting on the gutter and the nurses would come out and take me in. And that was my the most joyful part of my pregnancy was the three times I was in hospital for a week each time on a drip um, because I would stop vomiting. And it was the first time I 
felt normal um, throughout the whole time. So pregnancy was really tough. And then I remember going in for my five-week checkup and the late, the nurse that I'd seen said, um, oh, you've got preeclampsia, the blood pressure is very high, you're going to have to come into hospital now and be on bed rest. And I was on bed rest for two weeks at the hospital, so I wasn't allowed to get up and walk around the hospital. I wasn't allowed to do anything. I was filling up with water like the Michelin man, and I was just, I think I added like 12 kilos just of water, so my entire body was in so much pain. And in the meantime, I was still sort of vomiting on and off and not eating very well. So it was it was a heartening experience for someone who had always wanted to be a mother. This was probably the absolute worst way I could have found myself in this situation. So my family life was not happy. It was an unplanned pregnancy. We were separated at the time. And then the pregnancy was just very, very difficult. So there's a lot of emotions and after reading The Aware Baby a few years later, I realized that that was obviously all being taken in by my daughter as well. So fast forward to the birth and that didn't end up the way I wanted. I am very much a water person. I love surfing. I love being in the water. So I had envisioned incredible water birth, music playing and all of these things. And what it turned out to be was me with an epidural that I didn't ask for, not being able to move from the waist down with probably 20 student nurses and naked on a table like it was just with and ended up in a cesarean uh, the most powerless situation I think I've ever found myself in so that was in itself very traumatic I wasn't allowed to hold her straight after birth because they were doing some sort of lesson with us while we were there and teaching student doctors and things when I finally got to hold her was probably not too long but maybe 20 minutes so um, I did know that I wanted skin to skin contact but I didn't have a lot of knowledge around a lot of that at the time so that was sort of our entry into the world. And then the next three and a half years was just a myriad of very, very, very dark times. So lots of crying for seven or eight hours nonstop. And I had no idea why she wouldn't sleep. She wouldn't sleep during the day. She slept two 20-minute cat naps up until about eight months and then never slept in the day again. And those cat naps were facilitated by me walking around my garden, which is about 10 square metres in a circle in, with her in the pram, just like a crazy person, or putting her in the car and just driving around the streets with no sleep and trying to get these 20-minute cat naps. And, yes, it, was, it got to the point when it was sort of about 16 months and I would just often find myself falling asleep in places so randomly because I was that tired. Um she was up every 45 minutes at night. I just could not function. I was like, what is going on here? And I was a baby that apparently didn't sleep till she was five. So the support system that I had around me was like, oh, well, babies don't sleep. And, you know, you didn't sleep till you were five. So this is karma and this is this and this is that. And um, I just remember thinking, it's not supposed to be this hard. It's not supposed to be this hard. So, yeah, and then we went through the separation around 16 months. We moved house within a month of that. Um, and I was still lots of crying, lots of we tried every sleep nurse under the sun. There's a, a facility here called Tresillion where you go where your baby doesn't sleep. And they kicked us out after three nights and said, we can't help you, buy a hammock, $600, you'll be fine, just pop her in the hammock and bounce her to sleep. That wasn't working. And it was around three and a half years, she was about three and a half, she was just about to turn four. And then that Christmas of that year, my sister-in-law at the time handed me Marion's Love Being a Woman course. And it was my first introduction to Marion's work. And I did the first three 
modules and just, you know, it was all about self-care and filling your cup. And I'm like, what, people actually do this? This is insane. What do, how do they have time to do all this <laughs> with a baby that doesn't sleep or eat or anything? And the further I got into that course, I started, I think it was even just Marion's voice. I just remember feeling like this person had come in to just give me a big warm hug just with her voice. And um, so I started researching and I found her site with Aware Parenting and I was like, oh, what's that? And I just dove in headfirst to absolutely everything. And she was just about four when I'd really started implementing a lot of the crying uh, like holding space for crying and listening to tears and emotions. And within three months, I'd say, of us doing a lot of catch up crying and there was a lot of tears in that time and a lot of holding space and also me because of the course getting more help and just saying, you know what, I'm not coping. So I I need, it was very hard for me to even say that in the beginning that I'm not coping because I, you know, you have this thing that you're a mother and you're supposed to know. It's so natural. You're supposed to know how to breastfeed and you're supposed to know how to do all these things. And um so I started asking for a little bit more help, which gave me a fuller cup to be able to listen to her feelings. And within three months, I remember there was one night where she slept a five-hour five block and I just remember checking her 13 times thinking she died because, what do you mean? Is she still breathing? And then I'd be like, oh, that's the first breath. And then I'd go out, oh, maybe that's one. I better go back. And I didn't sleep, but she actually slept for five hours and I just remember waking up with her and she was just so alert and awake and happy and smiling and yeah I just it just was this light for me in the darkest of dark times yeah I remember so many times when I thought I just every day I would tell myself I can't do this anymore I I just want it to end I can't do this anymore and so yeah so aware parenting when I say saved us it literally there was times when I would say it absolutely saved my life it was the light that I needed in that time so Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. Sounds like you had an incredibly stressful time, both with the pregnancy and the birth. And I, I loved how you're sharing about this sort of normalization of, of motherhood as being exhausting and, and that children don't sleep and that we just have to cope and that we either have access to support that doesn't align with our values or we just have to get on with it and accept that at some stage in the next, you know, 10 years time, we'll actually get some sleep. But up until then, all we have to do is just survive. And I loved this idea that you were learning, first of all, to take care of yourself, and then learning about all the aspects of aware parenting and how to support your daughter. That's really beautiful. I'm wondering if you might be willing to share a little bit then about you talked about how Bella was for when you discovered this approach and started really implementing it with her. What would you like to share about coming to Aware Parenting a bit later? And you say you did a lot of catch-up crying. Can you talk a little bit about what that looked like? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing that I would love anybody to know who is coming to Aware Parenting with older children, I went through lots of stages of guilt, feeling very, very guilty. What sort of damage have I already done? a lot of shaming myself and judging myself for not knowing how could I not know this what I would love to have said to myself back then and what I would love to say to anyone is just really find so much compassion and empathy and love for yourself and the stage that you are at this point in your journey whether you're whether your child four weeks you know four months four years or 14 if you are starting to implement aware parenting at any of those stages you absolutely have the ability to help your child heal from anything in the past to prevent any further traumatizing moments in the moment and just to know that 
throughout the entire journey, like the journey is your journey. And so part of what's happened to me now is when I when I used to think, oh, I've wasted those four years. I can't, you know, I can't think what I would have done. Now that's become part of my story. So my greatest challenges in life have become my greatest gift I can offer to other people having a similar journey. Definitely just, as Marion would say, put the guilt sticks down and don't spend all your time worrying about would have, should have, could have, and didn't do, and just really focus on what you're doing now with your child. Because um, what I've learned is that um, the healing can happen very quickly. Um, the catch-up crying, as Aletha calls it, is because I didn't listen to any feelings. I wasn't capable of listening to any feelings. So um, when I did start to listen to feelings, of course, the floodgates opened and she would just cry and cry and cry. But the difference this time between the seven hours of crying when I didn't understand what was happening and this time was that I, my my entire being was there in this full presence with her. So I was there listening, holding with my face, showing how much I loved her and how welcome her tears were. And because she was a little bit older, she she just really took that in really quickly. And again, it doesn't matter what child, what age your child is, but it's just that beautiful space and that beautiful presence to be able to be there and hold that space. And, you know, obviously the initial part was lots and lots and lots of crying, but it, but again, we had a lot more sleep. So the sleep was the first thing that changed instantly for us. So it was just like, boom, it was miraculous um, within sort of few months, I said. And yeah, it's, you just, you just see as you go along, the more you implement it, obviously she was at an age where play was really fun and I had lost my own sense of play because I was one so exhausted and two I just didn't think that play was an answer for anything I I just thought I don't want to make a joke of this this is not fun for me and so bringing the fun and again lots of compassion lots of empathy for myself that I wasn't you know if I wasn't really willing to play whatever that was but the more you do the more you play the more you think that everything can be a game as the, as the child gets older it just becomes so enjoyable like I could see a challenge arising and I could meet it with a game and right in that moment we'd be able to still stay connected so there was a lot less distinction and a lot more um connection to that so yes so be very kind to yourself is all I would say and and definitely drop the word late there's just no late in aware parenting just anytime you can bring it in be amazing and it's going to change your world I love that and I love that sense of how clear you got about guilt and this sense that you damaged your child and, and the shame and how you were able to turn that around. And I guess that's a really helpful thing for people to hear because we do tend to go into that guilt, don't we? We do tend to jump quickly into shaming ourselves for not knowing earlier about aware parenting or not listening to more feelings. And so it's so helpful to remember that as much as we can, we put those things down and we offer ourselves compassion. But this is a hard thing to to master these thoughts because it is such a, a automatic response often for us to go into that. Do you want to talk a little bit about how how you learned to put those guilt sticks down and how you learned to offer yourself compassion? It's it's a tricky thing to do when we haven't received it ourselves often. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's again, it's very much the culture, isn't it? That there is a fact that there's a right and a wrong and that there's all these books and you should be reading and you know I read a pregnancy book under the sun and my pregnancy was not in any of those books so <laughs> I threw all of the books out whatever rules you think you have are, are generally from a conditioned part of you or or from the culture that's 
you know, conditioned to make us feel that we're doing everything wrong. So Marion's getting rid of guilt course was instrumental and my very first introduction to really well knowing that I was picking up sticks because at the time it just felt like so normal to say, gosh, you should know better. And, and the, you know, the person listening to it would be like, yeah, you should know better, you know. So the first part was really just recognising that those thoughts are not mine, that those thoughts have come from unsupported places. And as somebody who I would say I've been on a self-development, you know, awakening star journey for more than 20 years, um, really getting specific on how you can not change the thoughts because I think in a lot of the self-development areas it's like you've got to stop thinking like that and you've got to change those thoughts and that sort of thing. But through the work that I learned through Marion and Aware Parenting, it's about acknowledging those thoughts and giving them the love they need because they're coming up to be heard because they need love, not because they want to be shut down only to come up at another time. Mm. And listening to the feelings and learning about all of that and 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 I quite often, even today, I still will have the thoughts and then I'll instantly go, no, that's okay. You know, I'll I'll give myself a loving reparative phrase after it. So it's it's really just, I guess, first acknowledging that that's not you, that those thoughts are, you know, you're as a mother, we're quite often tired. We're split between many different, you know, hats and jobs and and managing, you know, um, well, not managing, but supporting um, the emotions of, you know, possibly a partner or a husband or other children or, you know, and we quite often forget that we have our own, you know, emotions and feelings. And the more that we have those listened to, whether that's by a listening partner or whether it's by these beautiful reparative phrases that we can give ourselves, that gives us the fuller cup to be able to do that for our children and for other people in our lives that need it. Mm. Um, Yeah, really meeting those thoughts at the moment and not allowing myself not not getting into that kind of spiraling action where you end up feeling worse depleted like a terrible mother or, or parent and just yeah really stopping it in that point and going wow I really hear that's really hard for you and I'm going to give you some love before I go and do anything else I love that and that's the thing with aware parenting it's so much about awareness isn't it so much about awareness of when our you know beliefs are that cultural conditioning that we've received rather than what we actually believe about ourselves and the first step of that is you know just becoming aware and then and then offering some love I love how you describe that thank you sorry I'm coughing so my voice is a bit weird apologies everybody um So you spoke about play and how you started to bring that into your life and how that offered so much in the way of connection as well as healing. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that and and what it is specifically about attachment play that you love so much and how you've used it over the years? Yeah, definitely. So um, actually my first real introduction to attachment play was you, Joss. You're a (laughs) a big part of my attachment play journey. I know you love play a lot and um, and I did Marion's attachment play course as well. So, I, again, I think a lot of parents don't realise that they, they're probably already doing a, a whole lot of attachment play, but they don't realise that it is attachment play. So, you know, I, I guess a good example is peekaboo for a baby. Lots of people will go peekaboo, peekaboo, without realising that, you know, that's a form of separation play. And then I found 20 different games on, you know, how to brush teeth and I've never had a problem brushing teeth since. And I guess once you start um, bringing play in, what happens in my own experience, what happens is my daughter will quite often make up games. She doesn't know that it's attachment play, but I will 
it's like an offering. So quite often our children come to us and whether they're specifically saying, you know, play with me, play with me, or whether they're just inviting play through the way that they they might initiate an action or they might um, like contingency play is a really good one, do something. And then uh, just as an example, my daughter came and tapped me on the back the other day and I turned around and, and tried to bite her hand playing, you know, and then she laughed her head off. And then I was pretending like I was making a sandwich and and she kept doing it. And I said, I can't play right now. I'm making a sandwich. And I would turn around and like try to and like try to bite her. So it just comes so naturally now, whereas in the beginning, it really wasn't that natural. And when I started thinking like, you know, if I've got a choice to play and stay connected or to, you know, be in a challenging situation and disconnect and power over, what I realized very quickly is every time I chose play over power over, the whole day would just go better. The whole day would go better. I actually didn't really understand or use loving limits very well. So uh, sort of like the next evolution in my aware parenting journey was it's almost like I see it like the layers on a cake. Like every time I learned something new, I would just add it on my aware parenting cake layer. And now I've just got all these beautiful tools and resources that I love to share with anybody that will listen that, you know, you just it's it's all part of the journey and it doesn't matter whether you know about a play play first or you know about crying in arms first or whether you started here or there. Aware parenting's this beautiful kind of web and wherever you come into it, all the other aspects will come at the time they're ready to come into your particular journey. That's what I that's what I seem to realize myself anyway. So it was definitely a learning experience. And nowadays I just I use play a lot you know, in the school with a lot of trauma from school, before school, after school. If there's one aspect that I guess warms my heart, it's it's definitely the play. Oh, yeah, I love that. I love that. And I loved what you were saying is that you can basically bring play to every challenging situation, can't you? And that our kids are geniuses at it and they often do initiate these amazing games that are very connecting and very healing and we just have to respond with our with our love and our our lightheartedness and um I loved what you said that every time you chose play rather than power over the day would be go so much better and uh, yeah, yeah I used to have this this motto like if in doubt play and so anytime that anything came up and I didn't know how to respond to my children or I was challenged or I felt bad I would just move in with play and it just saved us so many times yeah. and it just just it switches the mood immediately it connects you to your child there's laughter and fun and it just it combats the the serious business of parenting so well and supports our children at the same time so yeah i can I, i'm i love it i love it love it love it but i always love hearing about the amazing imaginative ways that you use play to support bella so Nick, I wonder if you might be willing to talk a little bit about how you've used play specifically to help Bella at school, like before school, during school and after school, because I know this is something that you talk about a lot. And I really love reading about all the games that you play, not only with her, but with lots of the other children at school and the different ways that you found to support her with aware parenting when you're apart. Are you willing to talk a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we are in a mainstream school at the moment. It's not my preference, but it is part of my journey at this time. Um, have been told and and think myself that it's probably a reason why we're still there. So she she's in a normal school. She has the same sort of upsets and things that happen with kids at school. And quite often uh, in the beginning when she was five going to school, I would use a lot of play, especially before school. So a lot of power reversal was mainly the style that we did. 
as most people know, they sort of, when they get to school, you know, they're told what to do, when to eat, when they can go to the toilet, everything they can't do. And they spend the entire day feeling quite powerless. So being able to do a lot of power reversal before and after school was paramount to her just functioning in a better way. So there was a lot of sort of connection in the car. You know, I would let her choose the music and then I would sing silly songs and she would say, no, that's not how you sing it. And there'd be a lot of, you know, laughter and a lot of body contact in the morning between getting ready, lots of hugs and lots of, you know, talking about how how she feels and that sort of thing. And as the years have gone by, she's in year three now. So um, we've adapted the games as she's gotten older. And so there's, you know, still a lot of play in the morning before she goes. And then when we've been getting to school, I quite often spend, you know, 15 to 20 minutes in the playground doing lots of games like Magic Wand game where the kids, there's two or three of her friends. It sort of started as as this very small group of kids. Um, Two or three of her friends would come up and as I was leaving, I would say, whatever you do, Bella, I don't want to be late for work. So please don't turn me into a kindergarten and the kids would sort of like, they didn't really get it in the beginning. And Bella would just get this big smile on her face. And I don't, don't, don't. And I'd make like a big, don't you dare, because if I'm late, we're going to be this. And we're going to like big, big deal. And then she'd yell out, Kindy. And I would squat down like the smallest that I could. And I'd be like, please, Bella, I've got to go to work. I cannot be a Kindy all day. And the kids would start laughing. And then she would be like, all right, mom, all right, mom, adult. And then I would prop up and I'd pretend to start walking away. All right. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you turning me into an adult again. Thank you. Thank you. And then as I'm walking away, I'd hear Kindy. (laughs) And wherever I was in the middle of the playground, I would squat down again. And the kids got it pretty quickly. I think, you know, within the next two days that we'd been playing it, I would walk in and, you know, all of her friends would be like, Kindy, adult, Kindy, adult. And so because this went on for quite some time, I had to sort of introduce a adult forever kind of rule because I would literally not be able to get out of out of the school and I'd be late to work every single day. And um, yeah, and so now it's sort of gotten to the point when they must be talking about it. I went to the school Friday morning to drop her off and there was this kid who I'd never seen before, never mentioned before. And as I walked in, I heard, that's Bella's mum, Kindy. And then I jumped to the ground and and Bella's like, oh, you're a bit famous now, mum. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I said, I, I, part of me thinks I probably shouldn't have started this game. But that was one example of just, just giving kids a little bit of choice and autonomy and fun first thing in the morning and just connection. They're so lacking in connection when they get dropped off at the school. And, you know, hand on heart, I'm not saying that's anything about the teachers or the school itself, but I, it's my belief that, you know, the systems are quite cold. They don't really facilitate any sort of play at the school my daughter's at, there's no, you know, there's no toys offered. There's And you, the rule is you're not allowed to bring a toy to school, but there's nothing offered in terms of activities or people, you know, helping out. There's a rule that they're not allowed on the equipment in the morning. So there's there's a 30-minute gap between when the gates open at 8.30 and 9 o'clock where I walk in and it's just like this, it, it, it feels like I'm, I'm in some sort of movie because I'm looking at little five-year-olds who have just been dropped off by their parents and they're walking around the school playground with their eyes in the air, you know, kicking stones or, or they're possibly just sitting by themselves with their hands in their head, feeling very disconnected, very upset. And, and I quite often go over and go, you know, is everything okay? And they're like, yeah, my friends haven't arrived yet or whatever it is. So I think having these sorts of games that we can teach to the kids is then they can go off and play those games together and I always really stress um, because, you know, obviously everybody likes to be the person holding the wand. 
but I quite often go in and, and you know, I'll be like, okay, who's going to hold the wand today? And then I'll pick somebody else. And again, I've had to explain to Bella that, you know, she can't be the one always holding the wand, but when we get home, she can hold the wand as much as she likes sort of thing. So yeah, it's just been a really big change in my life having to go to school because obviously we're parenting right now and it's growing every single day, but it's not the mainstream way of doing things. And so quite often there's challenges that you may come up against and that I've certainly come up against in family situations or friend situations or now school or even sporting things as well, where you've got coaches and that sort of thing. And I guess the thing that I really try to keep in mind more than anything else is I can't protect her from everything in the culture. I can't, I'd love to just wrap her in cotton wool, keep her at home with me all the time till she's really big. And then she can go off and have her own children and and aware parent them. But it's, it's just not like that. And so the, the way that I get through my frustrations with the system is by knowing that no matter what happens, aware parenting can heal it. No matter what happens, I can repair that when she gets home. No matter what happens, there is something good that can come of it. And, you know, they will have those challenges the same as us adults always have those challenges. But aware parenting is just, you know, the icing on the cake of anything that can that can happen. You know, they, they, I honestly could just not even the worst bullying, the worst if there's a situation where they're transitioning between two different homes and there's separated parents, stuff that can be really, really challenging and really heartbreaking to think, how can I support my child through that? How can I support myself? And then how can I support my child through that? And aware parenting is just this beautiful, just glue that sticks everything together. So yeah, I think that that was just very comforting for me to know. And as I said in the beginning, it was like really physically life-saving. And now that I'm out of that darkness, now it's just this awesome way of finding new ways to implement it while you're still functioning in a system that doesn't support it. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I love how in Elisa's new book, for example, it's so clear how listening to feelings, providing emotional safety for our children, and then using these different types of attachment play is how we support our children to heal from trauma. And it's it's really that simple. I mean, it's not easy to do, but it really is that simple. So I love, I love how you describe that. And I think it's so it's so helpful to be encouraging parents to be thinking that before their children go into this environment in school where, you know, they're told what to do all day, that just, you know, a few moments of power reversal games beforehand just completely transforms that experience for them. And I loved how you described the other children getting drawn into your games that you're playing with, Bella. And it again, it's about that play being the language of children. That's That's also why it supports them so well. Do you want to talk a bit about how you support her when you're not actually there? Because I love some of the things that you've described to do, whether it's when she's at school or when she's at her father's house. Yeah. So she she's obviously at school Monday to Friday and she goes to her dad's once every second weekend. And there was a lot of things, and, and again, these have all changed throughout the, the time. But when she was a li- littler, I used to draw like a little heart on the inside of her upper inside arm and then I would fill it with kisses so I would spend you know five minutes just kissing the heart and then I would tell her that wherever she was she could just push the heart button and then my love would like go through her and at at the time I would get her to close her eyes and imagine like the warm love sort of going through her body and so she often told me that that was really helpful in the first sort of days of school because she did miss me a lot because we did spend a lot of time together up until school time and I think that's a really a, probably one of the biggest hard separations for that age is is that time when you go from spending so much time with you, your parents and then you're you know literally in school for six hours 
it's a really long time for a four or five year old. And so again, yeah, lots of, you know, we would make little bracelets together and then she would make one for me and I would make one for her and she would wear them. I would often put uh, little photos or something from home. I would put it in her bag or attach it onto her bag. We would have a little, we have a little sign that we still do until now. So every time we're leaving each other, no matter where it, where she has to go, we um, make a little fist and we tap our heart twice and then we make like a peace sign. And so that's like, you know, mummy and Bella's like the two of us and no matter what, we're in our heart. So sometimes when she's feeling a bit nervous, she just does that and she taps her heart and she puts the two and then she sort of closes her eyes as if she's sort of pulling that in and holding it with her. And I know that it's such a small, simple thing, but it just gives her so much strength. And sometimes the kids ask her, oh, what's that? And she was like, oh, it's just something my mum and I do or whatever it is. So it's that, it's connection as you're leaving, connection before you're leaving and then as you're leaving and then something that they can tangibly hold or see or access during the day. And then, of course, when they get home, just lots of play, lots of hugs. I make a big deal whenever she comes home from her dad's or from school, I... (laughs) Create, create quite an overdramatic entrance. I'm like, oh, I'm so happy you're home. This is the best day of my life. And she's like, mom, you saw me a few hours. And she's older now, you know. So she's, mom, you saw me a few hours ago. And I'm like, yeah, it was the long time of my life. And then I like, you know, do lots of, Joss, you told me about this one, the Velcro game. I do that. Lots of like sticking to her and pretending that my arm, I'll kind of walk away and my arm will be still stuck on her jumper. And so I'll kind of pull her with me and I'm like, oh, oh, what are you doing? Get away. And she's like, I can't. I'm like, but you are, I need to go and cook dinner. And then it sort of turns into a big, you know, power reversal as well. So yeah, lots of little bits and pieces. We made a, a love pack a few months ago. She was having some trouble with some friendships and quite often finding herself alone in the playground. And she told me about it. And I said, all right, well, what can we do so that you've got something to do while you're at, while you're alone in the playground? And so we got like an oversized pencil case and we went to Smiggle and Officeworks and a came out a few other different places and she picked all sorts of, you know, find a word games. Um, and obviously you can do this age dependent, lots of find a word games, coloring in. Uh, she had a Rubik's cube. She had all sorts of little fidgety puzzle things, book, a photo of us, a little recorder that played music. Um, she loves music. She loves to sing. So she loves to record herself singing. Um, so just a few things. And for the two or three weeks that she was finding it really hard to find people to play with, she would just go and get her pack and her lunch and she would go and sit in the sun, she told me, and she would just pull all this stuff out. And what ended up happening was the kids would come over and go, oh, what's that? (laughs) And, hey, can we play with you? And, oh, what about this? And so she said, oh, everybody wants to play with my things. Now I kind of just want to play play by myself. I said, well, you know, we're going to have to find a little happy medium here. But so, again, just, yeah, ways that they can connect when we're not there. And I guess the most recent form of way that we can connect when she's not there and again age age dependent she got one of those moochie watches for her birthday so now she's able to message and call and connect with me through throughout the day there is a rule at school that you're not allowed to have it it has to be on school mode between nine and three um, so I don't put it on school mode so she can connect with me anytime throughout the day so she'll quite often send me photos I have sort of said to her that you know the responsibility falls within her as to when she's going to use it. And it is, you know, for emergencies only, but she, she might off message me and say, oh, I'm feeling sad. And in that moment I can respond with, I really hear you feeling sad. 
I'm so here with you. There's only three hours to go or whatever it is because quite often time is so lost during that day for them. So I'm like, look, you've got two hours to go and then I'm going to be right there and we can talk about this. And and she just it just instantly in the moment, she feels my love. She can often hear my voice if I'm sending an audio. So that's often quite connecting too or if I'm, I, I type if, if I don't know where she is for the day. But just that instant moment of connection, she just really, it, it just dissipates in the moment. So something that could have been traumatic and sad and she's experiencing those feelings with nobody there to be able to hold space for her and then maybe she goes back to class and then something happens and she's powered over there for whatever reason, not in a necessarily quote-unquote bad way, but just something might happen or child might do something and then those sad feelings become like a domino effect and it just snowballs and snowballs. So but by the time she gets home at the end of the day, she's she's crying and raging and and very unhappy. Whereas in that moment we can connect and I can be like, yeah, that's okay to feel sad. And I'm so here, I so hear your sadness. And I'm going to be there really soon. You know, so yeah, it's just been just revolutionary in our life, all of these ways to think that we can stay connected even when we're not physically present. Um, it's just beautiful. So, so beautiful. I wish I had that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I loved hearing all that. And I'm so just really want to acknowledge you, Nick, and all these different ways that you've found to support her in a way that is just so thoughtful and, and beautiful and it really touching. And I think it's really inspiring for people to know that, yeah, they can just put their child's needs first, even when they're not together. And so they can understand that, Probably the most important needs are your choice and agency and connection, particularly when they're going to school. And so you've just found ways to meet that, even though she's in a system where those needs normally would not be met at all. And I really loved hearing that. And that game, like with the love heart on her arm, for example, is just so beautiful. And the love pack is it's just really, really nice to find ways to, to keep connection and I just, I'm just imagining what it must be like for her to be having that experience. And I'm imagining myself at school and uh, all of the disconnection and, and all of the sadness and abandonment and stuff that I felt. And just, God, that would have made so much difference just wow. to have somebody, just to have your parents say to you, I hear you. I hear you're sad and I love you. Amazing. Yeah. So amazing. So simple and so powerful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And then just the knowing as well that, okay, and, and of course, as they get older, they're like, okay, well, maybe I don't have anyone to listen to my feelings right now, but I know the second that I see my parent, there's a space there because, mm-hmm. we're, you know, aware parents are holding space all the time and they're welcoming feelings so that maybe they can't do it right at that present point in time. And if you don't have a watch and if you don't have facilities to be able to connect throughout the day, I think just really reminding your child that no matter what happens during the day, the second you get in the car, and I don't wait till I get home, I'm like, as I'm at the gate, I start. How was your day? And, and, and there's a funny rule in a house that you can't answer with good. There's no one word answers. So it has to, you know, as a game, not a have to, but just as a full sentences. And then quite often by the time we're at the car, you know, I've heard three quarters of the day and it starts straight away. So she knows that even if she has to hold it in for that time, or you know, for example, the watch has been broken for two days and, and she was like, oh, I don't have my watch. Oh, that's all right. I'll just tell you when I get home. So there was that, oh, 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 I, I, oh, oh no, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> so again, just like the more we do this and the more we hold that space, the more they just know that it's there. And like, I know, you know, with you now, Josh, having like teenagers, I love hearing stories from you and Marion because son's off at university and he knows he can just pick up the phone and 
talk for as long as he wants to, you know, and it's just it's so incredible to have that connection and just to know that that person's going to be there loving you, accepting you, listening to you and just being so present with you, like you give your full presence when you're there and, yeah, it's just such a gift. Aware parenting is just such a gift. Oh, my goodness, so much. Yes, 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 yes. I'd love to talk to you as well about dealing with other people's judgments and about the co-parenting and things and anything that you're willing to share about that, because it's often really challenging, regardless of what kind of family situation you have. It's often really hard. And I don't want to stereotype here, but it's often the case that mothers really take this all on board and think aware parenting is wonderful. And it's harder sometimes for our partners to come on board. How have you navigated that whole process, particularly when you've been like co-parenting rather separately, rather than navigating it together in the same home? And what advice would you give for people who are in that situation? Yeah, it's so challenging, isn't it? And I, I quite often say, and I've written about this a little bit as well, is that I think we're all co-parenting, whether you're together or not together. You know, we were all raised differently. We were all brought up in different homes with different discipline ways and different ways to be raised and different conditioning, past conditioning, generational conditioning, you know, different languages, different. There's so many variables to parenting that we bring when we come and have a child with someone. And it's almost like, well, you know, we're, we're in this family and we all love each other and we should just all get along and it should be all fine. But there's all of this stuff that plays a part in it. And what one of the most amazing things for me with Aware Parenting was initially I was like, oh, great, I can heal the relationship with my child and I can heal the relationship with myself. And I was reparenting myself along the way. And this was, you know, fun and challenging and everything. And then I started applying it to every relationship that came into my world. And I just thought it's, it's really just about that connection, listening, compassion, empathy, no judging, no shaming, and bringing all of that to the other relationships that I had. So uh, in, in the beginning and, you know, still quite often now, I come up with challenges when I am, I guess, showing and demonstrating we're parenting with my daughter in front of other people. And that might be listening to her cry, or it might be allowing her to rage or it might be just the way that I'm responding to her like oh yeah I really hear that you're angry and that's quite often really different for people to hear I remember in a shop a couple of weeks ago we were in a stationary shop which is like my lolly store and um, I was looking at all the different pens and things and I said to Bella we're not going to spend a lot of money here I just wanted to go and get a new journal so I'd already sort of set that idea that I wasn't going to buy anything and so she went in there and of course she saw this amazing pug pan and she had to have the pug pan because it was the cutest dog ever and da, 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 da. And there was this lady next to us and I bent down to her level and I said honey I so hear you want the pug pen but I'm not willing to buy the pug pen today and and she went but I really want it mommy I really want it and I just kept going back and forth and I spent time and you know it does take time sometimes and sometimes we don't have time sometimes we don't have spaciousness but if you do you spend the time then, you don't have to spend the time later with tears. And I remember, and this lady was sort of, she'd finished doing what she was doing, but she was there just sort of listening to us. And then as, as we walked out of the store, she sort of said to me, oh, I really enjoyed the way you spoke to your daughter. And I said, oh, thank you. It's a style of aware parenting. This is what we do, blah, blah, blah. Just tell anybody that'll listen. But it, it is quite different to the mainstream. So again, I was coming up with a lot of sort of challenges from people in my world and I, and 
as I, as that was happening and as I was talking to them and and I sort of was used to explaining a lot about why I believe in it and all of that sort of stuff and I stopped doing that and started just demonstrating it and over the years they've been able to see what's come of that and in terms of the relationships with her dad and you know my parents and and other people in my world what I realized was a lot of the rea- the reactions because it wasn't responses I was reacting to a lot of situations was my own hurts that hadn't been healed and my own conditioning and my own inner child really that needed to be heard and loved and seen and also they had all of that going on as well so the realization was again with a lot of those thoughts that they had if if somebody had said something that I didn't like or somebody had said that what I was doing was not working that was quite often the case that's not working she's she cries more she's more clingy she's more whingy it's not working whereas my response was well she may cry now but when I leave her at kindergarten she never shed a tear she never shed a tear. She would say, bye, mommy, and off she would go because she was so confident, so safe, so secure in herself and so full of love that we we didn't have a lot of separation trauma at all. And I attribute all of that to all their parenting. So what they were not seeing was what I was seeing where it was playing out in other areas. So when I sort of started applying that to my relationship with her father, which was very, very traumatic when we were together and then quite difficult in the first sort of 16 months because I was just not in a space to even think about how he was feeling more just about what was going on with us. Then I really started to see that, again, with listening more than I spoke or bringing some sort of play in an adult form to it, like it might be, um, gosh, I can't think of any examples now, but just seeing, seeing the relationship from an aware parenting perspective and knowing that when he reacts from a certain way, that's his adult broken cookie moment. And so instead of judging his broken cookie moment and going, don't speak to me or whatever it was I used to say, I would go, oh, I really hear that that must be really hard for you right now. And in the beginning, there was a little, I don't like this phrase, but, you know, a little fake it before I make it because I still had so many feelings and I was still dealing with a lot of that stuff. But over time, because he felt more heard and more seen, those situations started to lessen. And so now, again, there's a lot of, and and we still have challenges. We still have times when we don't see eye to eye. He he's read a little bit aware, about aware parenting. He doesn't doesn't agree that it's sort of the best way forward. And I've just learned to accept that there is different styles of parenting, and he parents a certain way, and I parent a certain way. And above all, the thing that's gotten me through that is again, no matter what happens when she gets home, aware parenting can fix it, or aware parenting can help it. So it took a lot of that pain of going, I have to stop this happening, and I have to. Well, no, I just have to accept that he does that differently because of the way where he's come from and his things. I'm also educating Bella and guiding her as well in how she deals with the situations when she's there. And then again, during the transition, lots of play at home, lots of opening that space when she gets home so that I'm not busy doing something and I don't give her that space. It's always really important to offer that space, especially after she's been away for the night or the week or whatever it is, just for her to know to know that. So I think it's 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 so transferable the skills and the philosophy and the the understanding that aware parenting gives us and we often think oh that's just for the parent child relationship but all relationships are based on those core values of compassion, love, empathy and understanding. People just want to be seen, heard and understood. And when people don't feel seen, heard and understood, they get frustrated, they feel powerless and the same things play out. It just looks differently from a 3-year-old to a 30-year-old. Oh, yeah, I love how you describe that. And I think 
yeah, it just all comes back to being able to say whether it's to our child or to ourselves or to our partners or to our family when when things start to get challenging and difficult to just remember to keep coming back to this basic conversation where you're saying I I hear you I hear that you're feeling this and and I'm here to to listen to that and and then we don't have to take it personally and that's really great practice for when our kids are teens of course because then all kinds of things get said that they don't necessarily mean but yes how we can apply all of those basic aspects of aware parenting and our understanding of those to all of the relationships in that we have with other people I loved how you brought up the broken cookie in relation to him. Because, yes, we often see that in adults, that that broken cookie scenario. And I think the one thing that's really crucial in all of this process is for us to be receiving listening ourselves, because otherwise it's impossible for us to be responding to people really with this kind of level of compassion and, and care. But how, how does that look for you these days? Ah, yes. So I, I've just finished a beautiful group with Marion with the Marion Method work and I've met some beautiful, uh, lovely new friends in there that, you know, I have as listening partners and lots of people in the aware parenting community, you know, that's so available just to reach out. So I really, yeah, that is just one thing that for a long time, I didn't like, I knew it and, um, you know, yeah, I really should get some listening. And then I had to work through a whole lot of conditioning around asking for help and that's okay. And asking for support and that's okay. And then being able to, I guess, comfortably talk about yourself for a long time without having anyone offer you advice, offer you a fix it, offer you an opinion. And just to really hold that space, it's quite, well, it is one of the most unique beautiful things you know that somebody can give you is a a full presence listening ear so yeah there was a lot of conditioning to get through to be really comfortable with being able to share lots about myself and especially around I guess parenting and and the the birth and the separation I, I felt a lot of shame around what had happened in those first few years so for me to talk to people about it was very very difficult and quite often would tell myself, oh, I'm not ready to talk about that or whatever it is, or I've done my healing, I've I've done that, you know, tick that box. And it would still sort of come up. So being held in a space of real non-judgment and real compassion where people are are really there going like, that's, you know, I'm really sorry that happened to you. And that must have been really hard. And I remember once somebody said that exact phrase to me and I just remember breaking down in tears because nobody had ever up until that point of the first five years said, wow, that must have been really hard. And I just think it was so hard. And I just remember feeling so hurt in that moment. And yeah, the benefit of having that listening space has just really catapulted being able to listen to others and see others in that light. Because if you're not being held in that space yourself, you, you you're almost impossible to be able to see or offer that to anybody else. So yeah, that whole fit your own oxygen mask first <laughs> comes to mind with that because yeah, it's really paramount that you do have people listening to you and, and hearing you and seeing you in all of your glory, not just in the good parts. But mm, Yeah, I love that. And just like you say, that power of being acknowledged, having your experience acknowledged for somebody to say, yes, I hear you. Of course, that's difficult. I care. It's just so, so simple and so powerful at the same time. Amazing. So what about your offerings? I know you've got some wonderful new things in the pipeline, including one that's coming very soon. What would you like to share? How do you support parents and, and yeah, how can people get hold of you? 
So, yes, my soul's service is called Peaceful Parenting. So I have a Peaceful Parenting website that is peacefulparenting.com.au. It's in maintenance mode at the moment, but it's about to birth a beautiful new branding and colours and lots of amazing free information and resources. Um, I have Instagram and Facebook pages. You can just search Peaceful Parenting. And they're my, that's my aware parenting and life stories. So every time something happens at school or if something happens where I've drawn on my aware parenting knowledge and it's been able to have a, you know, a beautiful result, I quite often write about all of those stories. I love sharing really real-time, realistic ways that you can implement aware parenting into your life. So that's really enjoyable for me to share there. And I have a new course that I'm about to birth in six days' time. So that's doors opening on the 29th of October. It's called The Parent Alchemy Journey, and it's an introduction to aware parenting. So very much focusing on the basics, the, you know, the aspects, the principles around it, attachment play, lots on listening to feelings and crying and the healing aspects of it, lots on sleep. There's seven different modules and it, it covers every aspect of aware parenting. So it's really for people who are either brand new to aware parenting or wanting a refresher or wanting to sort of maybe they've dipped their toe in attachment play, but they, they're not really comfortable with listening to feelings, or maybe they listen to a lot of feelings, but they're still not really sure how to engage in play. So there's something for everybody in there. And what I love about it is it's very to the point, but it's also really relatable to your life. So the PDFs have a lot of technical information and I have got like a video and audio over the top of that, where I share a lot of how I've implemented that into my life. So lots of examples. And I think it's really a beautiful course for somebody who is really into aware parenting, but maybe you've got a partner who's not on board, or maybe you've got family members that are not on board. You know, it's five hours in total. So it's not a huge expectation for people to listen to and just get an overview and see if they resonate with parts of it or, you know, how they're going to go. It's a good sort of conversation starter, or they could just listen to the section on play or just listen to, you know, the section on crying. But I love that having that, you can, you know, cut it up and share it. I like that idea. Um, so yeah, so that'll be out on the 29th and I'm very excited about that. I'll do some Facebook lives and lots of questions and answers and yeah. Well, sounds amazing. And will you be running live rounds as part of that course or is it like a stand by alone kind of self-paced thing? Yeah. So this one, the first time I'll do a live round. So there's two Facebook lives, one, one on the 7th of November and one on the 14th at 1pm in Sydney. And I'm focusing on play and feelings in both of those. So, I mean, of course, anyone can come and ask any other general aware parenting questions, but I find that they're the two subjects that people sort of relate to and resonate with a lot. So, yeah, just like a question and answer sort of style and I'll be available throughout the course, you know, for the first month of the live round just for check-ins. And I'm also offering some discounted mentorships um, for four and eight-week uh, one-on-one sessions, aware parenting sessions as well. So, yeah, really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to getting lots more people in the community and lots of new people who may not have heard about it before, sharing it with them. Well, it sounds amazing, Nick. Sounds so amazing. Mm-hmm. And I love, I just love knowing about all the different aware parenting instructors and all the amazing things that they're offering to help this community grow more and more. And I know that you've put in a lot of work over over the months that you've been putting this together. So I'm sure it's going to be an amazing support for parents. So thank you so much for doing that. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jess. 
And I always ask at the end, what what would you love to have known at the beginning or what would you say to yourself now if you could go back and say something to Nick at the beginning of this process that you would love for her to deeply know early on? That she's not doing anything wrong and that no matter what happens, aware parenting can heal it. (laughs) Aware parenting can fix it, can heal it. It's so available. So there's just nothing that can ever happen that you won't be able to fix. There's no ruining, no damaging. It's all all possible to be fixed. So yeah, that definitely would have saved me back in the day. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And that's like that's just the trust that we get through aware parenting, isn't it? That everything's going to be okay. It's so nice. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Nick, for taking time to come and talk to us. I will put all those links to your website and your um, social medias for your new course announcements. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you, Joss. It's been such a pleasure. I I very much look up to you and Marion and everything that you guys have brought to Aware Parenting. And I love that through your families, we can see very from the beginning and how it turns out, because I think that's such a big thing for people is, you know, in the challenging times, is this going to work? I'm like, just go and see Josh and Marion. It works. Look at it. So yeah, you guys have been instrumental to me and my journey and yeah, just love you guys so much. So thank you. It's an honor. Thank you so much, Nick. Take care. Lots of love to you. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.